dude welcome to brain in a vat we're gonna kick back we're gonna drink some white russians and uh we're with this like really cool cool guests Alison Swain, Iona College. We're going to talk about why it's okay to be a slacker. Alison, you want to start with a thought experiment? Okay. Well, so I want you to imagine two cities. One of them is full, uh, is full of productive and ambitious people. Everyone works hard. Everyone is constantly trying to self-improve to be a better version of themselves. Um, given how productive and ambitious everyone is, uh, you can easily imagine that it is a pretty high-tech uh, city uh, or society. Now, uh, suppose someone in this city uh, made an invention, let's say, you know, a sex robot. We can rest assured that there will soon be a new and improved version of this robot. There will most certainly be a sex bot 2.0, 3.0, and so on. Um, so for these ambitious and productive people, we should never settle for good enough. We should always make an effort uh, to be better, okay? It is not enough to have just good enough sex. They want uh, above and beyond sex. Now let's call this the go-getters city. Now the other city is just the complete opposite. Everyone in this city just wants to do the uh, bare minimum. No one cares about making themselves useful. Everyone is just, trying to, is just trying to get by. We will call this the slacker city. And, but I want you to keep in mind that slackers are not stupid. They are just unmotivated. Um, it is not that they don't work at all. It's just that they want to keep their efforts to the minimum. So we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that no slacker would ever care to invent sex robots. It is true that a slacker May, may be more likely to settle for mediocre sex. But, you know, getting laid can be pretty labor intensive, right? You have to get on the dating app, you have to swipe, flirt, you know, with a bunch of people, go out, you know, meet people and so on. So it is quite conceivable that a slacker inventor is motivated to invent, to, to invent this robot not because, uh, you know, they sub subscribe to the idea that sex should be better and better, but because it cuts down, you know, the kind of work that needs to be done in order to get laid. So whereas the go-getters uh, work in order to make lives better, slackers work in order to make lives easier. So my question is, is which city would you rather live in? So that's very interesting. Um, so you're arguing that slackers can still be productive Mm -hmm. They're just being productive for a different reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, they can still be productive in the sense that they, well, they have to, they have to work, right? Uh, in, in some capacity, if they want to survive. It's like no slacker can really slack by doing absolutely nothing. Um, so, and I think that, uh, you know, if you want to be a sustainable slacker, uh, I think it is important that, you know how much work uh, you, you, you have to do in order to you know, avoid people paying attention to you. Um, and, and I talked about this uh, in, in my chapter on, uh, on Hollywood slackers, actually. Uh, I, I thought that, uh, so in the movie uh, Office Space, uh, the character Peter, um, he 
I think he's uh, also he 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 does some kind of computer stuff. And at one point, he he pointed out that um, it is important for him, you know, to do just enough work because if he fails to do his job, then you know he will be on his boss's case, right? And uh, and he wouldn't be able to slack anymore. So I think that a sustainable slacker would actually have to at least do the job. So I find this fascinating because um, my personal life's goal is to be able to do nothing. Um, and I, I work very hard for certain periods of my life for a few years at a time and save up enough money that I can lie around and do absolutely nothing. Um, and, and I find that very productive. Um, so while I'm doing nothing, I do the minimum amount that I have to do to stay entertained. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've done in the past is write a lot of science fiction novels. And sometimes people say to me, oh, but that sounds like a lot of work. So I've written 14 novels and they look at me and they say, that's a lot of novels. Isn't a lot of work to create those novels? And I say, well, yes, but it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like just enough effort Mm -hmm. that I can relax. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so you are saying that you you see fiction writing more as a like a hobby. Why, why would you feel like inclined to have to write those fictions? So I mean, why why do you feel like you you need to work a little bit? I mean, because it, presumably you you don't need to write that right in order to yes, I I could I could just uh, vegetate the entire day if I wanted uh-huh. to. Um, but um, if, I, if I write, then my mind is engaged mm-hmm. and it's not engaged for the reason that I think being engaged is good. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm not working for working sake, like right. in the city where they invent the sex bot in order to invent a sex bot because it's productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more like the lazy city where they invent the sex bot because they need to get their rocks off somehow and they need to be satisfied, sexually satisfied. And this is this is the simplest way of doing it. So this is kind of like, I need to get my intellectual rocks off. And this <laughs> is the simplest way of doing it. Okay. So fiction writing is like the sex robot for you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, so the question is whether are you a slacker? Is that is that you? Yeah, yeah. So the question is, am I a slacker? And also, you know, what exactly is a slacker? Are there different types? In my book, I define a slacker as someone who fails to achieve their potential, right? They don't live up to what is expected of of them. So do you, I mean, first of all, do you think that uh, by, you know, quitting your regular job and do the fiction writing, are you disappointing, you know, anyone? Are you failing to achieve your potential? Um, because it seems that maybe you are just cultivating uh, your your other potential as fiction writer, right? And um, if that were the case, then then you might not be a slacker. Oh dear, I, I feel very <laughs> feel like I've failed at even being a slacker. <laughs> yeah. So when Jason first told me that um, he was going to write a novel, he didn't say to me, "I'm going to write a novel." He said, "I'm going to write." a string of novels so that um, they produce a passive income for me so that I can retire and never have to work ever again. So 
that that slacker motivation, that idea of being able to lead a life of leisure that is supported through a passive sit on your bum income um, was the vision, but it required an enormous amount of work. So, you know, for a couple of years, Jason wrote every single day and produced those 14 novels at an incredible clip while motivated by this idea of being able to not do any of that at all. Um, so I, I wonder about these different ways in which people can be slackers. So it seems like one is to have it as an aim. And a lot of people seem to have that aim of I'll work really hard in my life so that I can retire. So when I hit 65, you know, I can, you know, sit on the beach and play golf and, you know, lead the life of leisure. But I accept that I need to work really, really hard to get there. And there are others who say, I'm opting out of the whole thing. Like, I, I, I don't care about these sort of uh, capitalist, you know, things, I don't want material stuff, you know, I just want to be, you know, free to do what I want. And they they do it immediately, and they don't get in the trap of, of production. In your book, you talk about a series of different kinds of slackers, and you intimate that some of them might not be genuine slackers, that they're pseudo slackers. So for example, you know, everybody remembers that person in high school who would say, Oh, yeah, I didn't even study for this exam. I'm just gonna, you know, play it as it goes. And they, you know, they get an A, but actually behind the scenes, they were working their asses off, and they were pretending to not put in effort. And then there were those people that were just naturally gifted who didn't put in the effort and just, you know, uh, got these incredible results. And then there were those that let's say, were just like, all I need to do for the bare minimum to just pass. Um, and so I'll put in the sufficient amount of work. And so I gather that there are these different ways you could be a slacker, and maybe some of them are not genuine slackers. Yeah, so I kind of put, uh, you know, different slackers on the slacker continuum or, or spectrum. Uh, so we have the, you know, the pseudo slackers on the one end, and then the more genuine <laughs> slacker, textbook slacker uh, on the other. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't think that the, the kind of slackers who would just, you know, work really hard behind the scene. I, I don't think they really count as a slacker in, in part because uh, of, you know, another part of my definition of a slacker is that the underachievement um, has to do with the lack of effort. Um, this, uh, so you can be an underachiever, right? Uh, not because of the lack of effort, but the lack of opportunity, right? So someone with great academic potential might have to quit school and support the family. And in that case, you know, they are not achieving what is expected, but we, we typically wouldn't call that person a slacker. So it seems to me that for an underachiever to be a slacker, the cause of the underachievement has to be the lack of effort. Um, so I think that, well, maybe one thing that I would ask uh, Jason is, uh, do, you, do you think that, uh, how much effort do you think you put in? So into writing the books, I put an enormous amount of effort. Um, like day and night, my mind was on it all the time. It was all consuming. It, it was, as Mark says, it was an enormous amount of work with the goal of ultimately doing nothing. Uh, and it did not succeed. <laughs> so, so after writing those 14 books, I was not able to live off this passive income from the books and now live this luxurious life. 
and it <laughs> I never got to do it, uh, you know, to 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 live this like a lifestyle. Um, something which I'm curious about when you're setting up the thought experiment, you said that uh, in the city where no one is a slacker, that A, they have sex, and B, they have sex enough and are interested in sex enough to create a sex bot, and then to have the sex with a sex bot and to enjoy it and to improve it. I was wondering whether very productive people who are obsessed with productivity, who are the absolute opposite of slackers, whether they would have sex at all. Um, And if they do have sex, are they having the kind of sex that one could really enjoy? Are they not just like trying to have sex kind of to fulfill some record? So it's like, I don't know, the longest coitus or like the, I don't, I don't know what the sexual records are. I haven't looked in the Guinness book of records, but I imagine the goal would be to like achieve something incredible. Uh, but it wouldn't be, the goal wouldn't be to enjoy it for its own sake. Yeah, I, I mean, I believe that they would have sex uh, and they would see sex as something that can be constantly improved upon. Um, now, whether that make that enjoyable sex is a different question. And, uh, and I would say that, uh, I mean, there are different ways to, to measure productivity. Um, because uh, I, I think that Jason, you are very productive because you are you, you're working on your uh, fictions, right? Um, but uh, and in fact, you know, in, in the movie uh, Slacker, uh, the, the, the director actually points out that you know, all the seemingly lazy you know, characters in the, in the movie, they are doing something. It's just a productivity of a different kind. So I like this idea of, these iconic slacker films. I mean, we're all of a similar age. We grew up, you know, watching movies like Clerks and So Fucking What and uh, Good Will Hunting. And there's something very enchanting about a slacker in some way. And I wonder if it's this tension that you set up about not living up to your potential. So if there's someone who just isn't very good at things in life, that they're just a mediocre person, that's not enchanting. If you've got someone who works really hard and is super diligent and achieves things, that's also not particularly enchanting. But the person who has this unbelievable ability, so if you think about Matt Damon's character in Good Will Hunting, but they don't utilize it. They sort of say, well, I'm happy to be in construction. So what if I could solve the hardest mathematical problems of the era? I don't feel like it. There's something enchanting about that, that tension, that that sense of saying there's this potential that you could be tapping into and you're not. And that draws us in. There's something mysterious about them, something frustrating about them, but there's something that I think we all feel like we want to have that potential. Um, and maybe we're scared of actualizing it. So there's plenty of plenty of our listeners, uh, I would imagine, who have written the greatest novel ever and it's sitting under their bed. And they don't feel like releasing it into the world, partly because they're totally and utterly afraid of what that would mean to unleash it into the world, to have to confront the reality of the supposedly greatest book. And so there's the kind of thing a slacker can do often is instead of confronting the reality of their deficits, you know, they can live in the fantasy world of, you know, well, if I really wanted to, I'd be amazing, but I don't feel like it. There is something, you know, enchanting and mysterious uh, about, about slackers. And I think 
that's why uh, a lot of people would or have expressed to me that oh, I am this slacker. Like they they are kind of like you know proud of it, you know, almost right. And I think that has to do with the kind of um, uh, freedom that the slacker seems to enjoy, right? Because they are not subscribing to the cultural and social norm of being productive, at least in the conventional sense, it seems that they are just living the life that they want. Right? It seems that they are not, uh, uh, they don't care about what other people think or say, right? And I think that uh, the whole idea of, oh, I just live my, the life I want to, I don't care about what other people think or say, it's very liberating. And so I think there's this uh, uh, perception of slackers being, uh, uh, liberating that that might be that might be the appeal i wonder whether there's not some objections though to the slacker lifestyle so mark has mentioned one of the advantages of being a slacker um which is this kind of enchanting attractiveness um the ability to have this incredible talent just not exercise it um but i imagine at the same time there might be some problems i, I think traditionally people look at slackers and say there's something wrong with that. Um, I wonder what some of those objections would be. I mean, one of them that I can think of off the top of my head is that the slacker is not fulfilling his, um, his talents. He's not, he's not fulfilling his, um, his capacities. And of course, Mark said, well, that's, that's an advantage, but I can also imagine it being a disadvantage is that this slacker could have achieved certain things in the world, but didn't. Um, and so those things, firstly, those things never come into existence. So suppose, for example, um, a great artist, Picasso, decided to slack instead of creating his art, we would never have that art in the world. So there might just be an absence of goodness in the world or value, valuable things in the world. But then also in terms of that person's lifestyle, um, in movies, at least, slackers are presented as um, being unhappy. Um, and you know, one of the arguments is, well, if you get off your bum and you do some work, you'll enjoy life more and you will be happier. So those are the two objections I can think of off the top of my head is an absence of value in the world that's generated by slackers or, you know, that they don't generate valuable things. And then the second thing is that um, they could be happier if they weren't slacking. Like for that charge to, to stick, uh, I think we have to assume a certain notion of of happiness. Uh, and I think that uh, we have learned that, you know, working gives us, you know, uh, satisfaction and, and confidence and, and the kind of a self-worth that uh, for, for, for go-getters or people who have been living in the cult of uh, productivity, it is very difficult to imagine how someone who who does nothing could be happy, um, but uh, but I think that maybe one maybe one answer would be well that's just not a slacker's version of a happy life. Like they just have a different idea of what what a what a worthy or happy life is. In fact, they might not even care about that. Um, they might not even care about having a goal, because I think that uh, one one. Uh, common quality of a slacker is really the lack of uh, purposes in their life, uh, which, you know, a lot of us uh, find 
troubling. Who do they owe, right? Uh, this, they, like, who do they owe this responsibility to be productive or being purposeful? Um, I mean, have they wronged anyone really? Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, um, uh, Picasso and, or, you know, any talented individuals who would just squander their, their talents, right? Yeah, I think that uh, obviously, you know, they would be depriving the world great art. Right? And I think that there's something, you know, sad about that. But uh, at the same time, I also think that uh, it is not wrong for them to, to not exercise their capacity. Yeah, so I think it's important to draw out the distinction between things that are bad or regrettable and things that are immoral. And you might think that if you haven't breached an obligation, you haven't done anything wrong. And I suppose we could think about different ways to cash out that obligation. So the one might be, you know, this Kantian notion of a duty to yourself to develop your talents. Um, and so you might think that you have wronged yourself. Maybe that's a nonsensical notion um, because you elected to wrong yourself and therefore, uh, you know, it's not wrong. The other one might be that other people have played some kind of role uh in in raising you um so you might think for example if your family scrimped and saved so they could send you you know to a good university um and you slacked off uh that you are in dereliction of your duty to them because even if you didn't ask for them to do that stuff they did do it and it creates some kind of obligation the other kinds might be where uh, you're a free rider, so you you're you know in a in a work group, and you're always doing the bare minimum, which means that everyone else has to do more work, and so that's creating obligations on them, and that is causing them to suffer some kind of a burden. Um, and even if you haven't, let's say, all you're doing is meeting the bare minimum, so you're not breaking an oath, uh, you're still you know uh, everyone else is carrying more of a load than you, uh, and in that sense, you've done something wrong to them. When we think about a slacker, at least when I think about slacker, I, I think of this, this guy in the group uh, in, in my class when I was an undergrad. He never, you know, do any work, right? And it's always, you know, me who take the who, who had to take notes, right? I mean, he he was uh, really, you know, freeloading. And now I think what is objectionable really is his sense of entitlement. Um, I think that's what we find troubling, not necessarily the slacking, because I think that you can slack without being a freeloader. Uh, uh, freeloading is a common but uh, incidental quality of slacking. Um, so that that would be my reply to the freeloading problems. Um, and and other one, uh, what we owe to to our parents, to others, yeah. So I think that, uh, yeah, I think that uh, certainly uh, uh, a slacker wouldn't really care about being a slacker. They, they might not even think of, think of it as a problem. It is typically, you know, people around them who find that problematic, right? For example, the professors or, you know, their parents. Well, parents get disappointed for all sorts of things. <laughs> they, they get disappointed if you, if you don't call home every night. They get disappointed if you don't marry a, a certain individual, right? Uh, so I guess, uh, I guess that I would have to see whether the facts that they raise you create a 
an obligation for you to be a useful person um, for your parents. So we've just published a book based on two episodes that we recorded on the meaning of life. Um, and one of our guests, David Benatar, he wouldn't present any issue here because he thinks there really isn't much meaning in life. But our other guest, Thaddeus Metz, thinks there is, and that meaning is very important. I'm not sure if he'd go, he would go so far as to say it's the most important value in life, but it's very important. And the question I have is, could you live a meaningful life if you're a slacker? Well, you might not live, live a purposeful life if you were a slacker. And I think that, uh, you know, having a purpose is typically, you know, uh, connected to, to meaning, right? I guess a, a slacker's response would be, well, so great about having a meaningful life. I mean, they just don't subscribe to the kind of uh, values that, uh, that, that we subscribe to as go-getters. So something, something I'm picking up in a lot of your responses is saying, well, these values don't really matter to the slacker, right? So when I said that slackers won't be as happy, you said, but that's not their conception of happiness. And mm -hmm. when I say, but they won't live meaningful lives. And you say, well, they don't really care about living a meaningful life. But if you think that those values have objective value, in other words, they don't just matter if you care about them, but they matter full stop, then it seems that there's something objectively missing from the slacker's life, even if they don't think so. Maybe there's something objectively good about having a purpose in life or something objectively good about having meaning in, in life. Uh, I guess I, I just have uh, maybe a, a bit of a problem uh, thinking of these in, 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 in objective terms, uh, in part because you know what counts as uh, meaningful or valuable actually differ from one person to, to the other. I guess I, I will have to you know, hear a case of why you know, having a meaningful life or purposeful life is, uh, is, is objectively good. Thad Metz has these three different things that he thinks uh, could make your life meaningful that are objective. So he thinks searching for truth. So for example, the scientist who's engaged in um, discovering a cure for COVID. Um, creating beautiful things. So, you know, being a painter like Picasso or, you know, a composer like Beethoven uh, or doing things that are, are good. So being someone like Mother Teresa, um, he thinks those are objectively good things. He thinks he tackles that subjectivist account, you know, so a lot of people say, well, meaning's whatever you make it and whatever you think is meaningful is meaningful for you. So if the slacker thinks his life's going meaningfully, well, you know, then it is. Um, and so he has this interesting objection it says, imagine someone who thought it was meaningful to spend hours standing in queues um, or maintaining a very precise number of hairs on their head or counting blades of grass or rewatching episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He would say that person is just mistaken about, um, you know, what is meaningful, um, that we can't make things meaningful through um, proclamation, that there are things in the world that just are. Um, you might think a similar view about morality, for example, if I say, well, I just don't feel like there's anything wrong with plucking out a baby's eyeballs and eating them. Um, and we'd say, well, it's true that you feel that way, but you're mistaken. Um, and so the concern with the slacker is that they've misaligned their conception of the good life with reality. So, you know, you've got this one life to lead. Um, you could be leading a fulfilling, meaningful life, doing beautiful, true and good things but instead you're squandering your talents um, 
and maybe it's not immoral to do that um but it's certainly regrettable because you've you've squandered your opportunity you could be doing something meaningful and you're not it is not that a slacker has a wrong idea of what what makes something purpose purposeful or meaningful i would say that this is a question that is not even relevant to a slacker to be to to have a meaningful life it's like telling a vegan that you know oh go to the supermarket otherwise the pork is going to you know sell out you know i think that that's just not the kind of thing that they would consider uh, relevant uh, to to their life um, they just have such an income i mean that i don't even know if they would reflect on their life necessarily uh, at least you know according to my uh, to my version of, of slackers because i i don't think of uh, slacking i don't think that one can use slacking to achieve some kind of a higher purpose i think that would be self-defeating so uh, i i have been very careful in my book to try not to impute any kind of a higher purpose to slacking okay so you've resisted this move towards objectivism so you've resisted this move that well um meaning is objectively valuable, happiness is objectively valuable, and um, the slacker has the incorrect conception of meaning and the incorrect conception of, of happiness. And so, well, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. They don't uh, understand what those are and they're missing something. You've resisted that move. And you've said, really, we need to, we need to um, burrow into the subjectivist view of meaning and the subjectivist view of happiness. Um, and say, well, what really matters is that it doesn't matter to the, the slacker that they care about meaning. Meaning is not important to them. And their version of happiness is very different from the go-getters. And that's good enough. Um, so how about a different kind of objection? So let's accept subjectivism, right? So let's accept that um, meaning is what you make it and happiness is what you think it is. Okay. What if I were to say to you as the slacker, let's just assume you're a slacker for a moment, Alison. Um, what if I were to say to you, you will be much happier. You will find your life happier and believe that your life is happier if you were to stop slacking. In other words, right now, you do think that your life is going well as a slacker. But if you were to try this alternative approach, if you were to enter our go-getter city and be productive for productive sake, you will enjoy it more. Not just that there's some, not that there's some objective sense in which you'll be living a better life, but you will change your mind and realize that you were wrong. So I'm still buying into subjectivism. I'm just saying the new life that you could leave as, lead as a productive member of society, as a more productive member at least, would be, uh, would be more valuable to you. Well, I guess if I were the slacker, although I have to say, one thing I learned from writing this book is that I'm definitely, definitely not a slacker. I guess I don't see why a slacker would be motivated to to try out a new lifestyle if uh, if what if what is you know if their life has been, has been going you know okay for them. Um, like what would be their motivation? I guess uh, I guess uh, so. I can. This is not a very good analogy, but uh, maybe we can think of a uh, parenthood, right? Uh, a lot of people have told me that, well, 
once you have a kid, um, you would think that this is the greatest thing um, in the world. Okay, you will change. You know, you will you will learn to love children. I think it might be true that you know, if I have my child, I would learn to you know uh, learn learn a new form of happiness. But I guess I just don't see why I have to first of all accept the premise that I I should change just because uh, you know there there's an an idea that well your life could be better if you do something else. But maybe that's the biggest objection to the slacker, is that because they don't see a reason to do that, they will then miss out on a life that, let's just suppose for a moment, they would have been happier in. They don't really care about missing out. I mean, they might very well know that, you know, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I don't do anything. I could have gone to the museum, but um, I decided to, you know, small parts you know and yeah i missed out on this uh, great exhibition but they would just shrug their so- shoulder i guess if we think about the slacker in comparison to let's say like a buddhist monk and so the buddhist monk says i want to free myself of these never-ending desires um that there are all these things that i want to do all these ambitions that i have and actually what i want to do is reach a state of tranquility where i no longer have these desires for things that the slacker is already there in some senses, as you say, you know, descriptively, they just don't care. They are without desire. Um, and we might think that they have, you know, transcended a lot of the things that, you know, the go-getters get trapped in. The go-getter is in the sense of saying, you know, I'll be happy if I can just get this next promotion and if I can just get a faster car and a nicer suit and then, and then, and then, um, and then they die with a heart attack, you know, because they work themselves to death and they were never actually happy. Whereas the slacker just said, it's not that I'm trying to maximize happiness. Maybe I would be happier if I did this or did that. And, you know, you think I'm missing out. I have none of those desires. I have, you know, beaten the Buddhist monk because I've freed myself of all of that. I say, look, if we play this game, you know, one of us can win this game and, you know, we can get involved in this rat race, you know, and the Buddhist monk is in that rat race and he's trying to free himself from it. But the slacker says, I'm not even playing. Um, And so they're, you know, they've won on their own terms uh, and they've achieved the thing that the Buddhist monk aims to achieve. So should we be viewing them really as these transcendental beings, uh, you know, who have achieved, uh, you know, ultimate nirvana by opting out? It is not that, you know, as someone, you know, read a good argument on slacking and decided that, oh, yeah, I should be a slacker. I don't think that, you know, it has involved that kind of, uh, you know, reflection. I mean, I think slacker, they just slack, you know, this is just what they do or not do, right? And um, and so their the slacking is not purposeful, right? They, they have no, they have no, desire to reach, you know, Nirvana, you know, that's just not even on their, on their radar. That's just, yeah, in a sense, you know, they, they, they have reached, you know, a place that even a, uh, uh, that the Buddhist monk is trying to, to reach. Uh, but then I think the biggest difference between a monk and a slacker is that a monk has a kind of goal, there's an end goal to, to what, to the, to what they're trying to achieve, right? Uh, whereas a slacker, uh, they don't really have that kind of goal. 
So that's, that is supposedly what the, the goal is for Buddhists, is to get to the point where they don't have the goal to get to nirvana, and then they're in nirvana. So the question is, has the, has the slacker achieved that already? Looking from the outside, I would say yes. Uh, but then uh, I don't think that's something that would that a slacker would necessarily be concerned about, uh, <laughs> which is not on their radar. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then here's a question. Um, we've got the go-getters and we've got the slackers and it really sets up, you know, your original question, which is which one is leading a better life? The way you asked the question was which society would you rather live in? Which city would you rather live in the slacker city or the go-getter city? What's your answer to that question? Is there an answer? Is one better than the other? You mean, what's my answer? What's my personal answer to that question? Oh, I definitely will go to a go-getter cities. Like a slacker does not need my book, actually. Uh, it is people around slacker who might have found their, you know, slacking problematic that might, that might find, you know, my book useful. Because uh, a slacker would not try to, I mean, why would they care to defend their, their, their slacking? I don't think they, they would even bother uh, with it. What you're really arguing for is the title of your book, which is, it's okay to be a slacker. Not, not that someone should be a slacker? Well, you cannot be evangelical about you know, being a slacker, because, uh, in part because of this attitude of indifference. Um, being indifference is not something that you can just acquire right um you can tell yourself that oh well i shouldn't care about this project but that doesn't mean that you can make yourself not care about that project right so i think there's a there's a difference between not not doing anything because you are trying to not do anything and not do anything because this is not what you i mean and, and not care about it and I think the, the slacker would be the ones who would not care about it. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I don't really want to uh, promote, you know, uh, uh, being a slacker. Um, and I, I try to, you know, make that clear uh, in my book <laughs> because I, and I think that maybe that's what some people are disappointed about that uh, the claim that I'm making might be too modest or that, uh, that uh, they, they want a positive notion of, uh, of, of slacking that is, not, that is more than just, you know, well, it's okay. So it's pretty obvious to me that Alison's going to pick the go-getter city. She's not the kind of person that's going to be satisfied with any old sex bot. She wants the Fuckatron 5000. Um, <laughs> but I, I have this thought, which is something that you deal with in the book, is this idea that we have venerated slackerdom uh, during the pandemic. So, you know, the thing that people have been told is stay the fuck at home. Like the most noble thing that you can do is sit on the couch and just don't just don't leave your house, man. Like 
don't be so like consumed with this whole like going to work thing and like socializing like the the virtuous wonderful thing that you can do for all of us is like just play some video games and like stick to yourself and you know like all those slackers are like we're ahead of you man like you know um we've been doing this forever and now this is the moral thing to do right um and so it's you describe it as a kind of like plot twist to the book right there's obviously a book that you've been working on you know before the global apocalypse got started you know and the slackers were sort of sitting on their couch like not really like too bothered with the whole thing they're like yeah we're fucking ahead of you guys you know without even trying yeah uh, yeah that's that's very interesting um yeah so i actually wrote a, a pretty big chunk of the book uh during the pandemic uh, and i thought a lot about uh how our notion of productivity and and, and slacking might have changed because of the pandemic um so so yeah, for one thing, yeah, the, the Mark is right that you know, being a slacker is is something that people would promote, right? Because they want, especially during the time during the lockdown where they want everyone to stay home, right? So the idea is uh, the uh, the the not the slogan, but the saying that someone would say something like, "Well, just sit at home, be a slacker. You know, do your part, be a slacker, right?" And uh, and I think that. It is interesting that they they are saying, well, just watch telly and uh, and 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 not go out instead of saying, well, just write a book at home and not go out. So it seems that you know there is something interesting going on because they are actually making slacking something patriotic or something that is uh, moral, right? That by slacking you are actually helping out other people. So I think that that's a, that's a very important, uh, there's a very interesting uh, move uh, in the narrative that I hear um, uh, in, during the pandemic. So especially, you know, at the be beginning of the lockdown last year, we, I mean, there are, two, there are two trends, right? So on the one hand, you know, you have the go-getters wanting to, well, I'm going to start this new, you know, gym routine. Okay, I'm going to, you know, make this bread, you know, I'm going to, uh, so, so a lot of people actually started doing a lot of things that they didn't have a chance to, to do before the pandemic. And I would say that that's a pretty go-getter uh, attitude because they still want to be useful, right? Even, even though they're at home. But then on the other hand, we also have, uh, you know, the narrative that, well, okay, these are the, you know, um, uh, 10 movies you can watch while you stay home. Um, and, uh, and I think that it was in, in California where uh, just right before the lockdown, you know, the dispensary for marijuana, you know, there was a long line for it. Right? So it seems that, uh, you know, a lot of people were also excited about this opportunity to finally, you know, have the license to, to, to Slack. So I think that the, the pandemic actually maybe alter uh, what productivity means for us. So one of the um, big advantages of slacking, I mean, I, I presented a whole lot of objections, um, but as someone who would love to be a slacker, um, although I think that might rule me out because the slacker wouldn't want to be a slacker, they just would be. So maybe by definition, I'm just not. But uh, as someone who envies slackers, um, it seems to me that people who are go-getters and only go-getters, in other words, they never stop being go-getters, they work and perhaps earn a lot of money and they're very successful, 
But when it comes to enjoying that success, how would they do that in the best way possible? How would they enjoy it the most it could be enjoyed? It seems like if you were to give all those resources to the slacker, they would do a much better job of it, uh, a much better job of enjoying it. A lot of people get depressed uh, after, after they retire because uh, they feel like, you know, their life, they have lost meaning or purpose in life now. Uh, so I think for a lot of people, uh, being, being a slacker and, and doing nothing really is not the right kind of life uh, for them. But um, yeah, and I think that if you have a more of a slacker disposition, uh, you would be more suited to, uh, to, to have a kind of a retirement uh, lifestyle. So you also differentiate your work on slackers from other work on leisure. So if we think about uh, Bertrand Russell's famous essay in, in Praise of Idleness, you know, there's some sense in which people think of, um, you know, relaxing or, you know, doing leisureful activities as instrumentally good because they help, let's say, um, free up your mind. They, you know, might be good for creativity. They can help you achieve all of these other kinds of things. And uh, as you said, the slacker kind of, uh, almost as anathema to this whole notion of achievement that they've opted out of it. Are there senses in which we can pick out the virtues um, that slackers have, um, some of which, as you say, is about leading a life that looks free, um, but that these things aren't necessarily, it's not it's not aimed towards that, it just is that. I, I also think we can point out some of the deficits of the go-getter lifestyle, the person who who sort of misses out on the truly valuable things because they're consu consumed with this idea of production about keeping busy, but that they're not actually aiming at valuable things either. And I wonder if there's looking at these two kind of polar extremes, if we can use that as a way of working out what would be truly virtuous, what would be a life worth living, that it's not to be, you know, stuck on the treadmill and it's not to be, you know, uh, filled without desire and ambition, but that there's some kind of golden mean you know, or some other path that can be walked? Yeah, so I think this might be a question that is more relevant to a to a go-getter than, than a slacker. Um, because, uh, yeah, I think that if you were a go-getter, right, you, you, you wouldn't want a kind of life that is completely devoid of meaning or purpose. Um, and, but then, you know, they can also rationally see that uh, having you know, have, being productive for productivity's sake uh, is also not a healthy uh, way of living. Uh, so I think for the go-getters, uh, it, is, it is important for them to try to think about, right, what is the uh, happy medium. Uh, but I guess I'm not sure if a soccer would be inclined to uh, to find that medium. The slacker who's motivated by a life of convenience and might work very hard to get there. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Jason's idea of working very hard to live off a passive income. But if you think about, you know, some of the most financially successful inventions of, you know, the last couple of years, it's all about making things easy. So, you know, it's like, dude, wouldn't it be amazing if I didn't have to leave my house and I could just, you know, order in my own toilet paper and it would arrive within a few hours? Well, you know, Amazon does that for you. You know, like if you want, you know, some of the best restaurants in your area and you don't want to leave your house, well, Uber Eats has got you covered. You know, and those are, you know, multi-billion dollar industries. Um, and they're all premised around this idea of trying to make things as simple and convenient as possible. 
but it must require an enormous amount of work. You know, if you're Jeff Bezos, you know, and you want to build up the biggest logistics company in the world, it takes you 27 years before you finally get a kickback and relax. Um, but you've made a lot of other people's lives rather convenient along the way. The fact that our life is made easier uh, by services like Amazon is actually, you know, predicated on the labor of other people as well. So it, it's not so much that uh, that uh, the, the labor just disappear, um, got redistributed to to a different group of people. Yeah, I mean, I suppose maybe in some sense that's the kind of you know, slacker attitude, which is if I can derive the benefit without having to do the work myself, that would be great. So, you know, the freeloader says, well, if you're willing to take the notes for me in class and you hand them over, that's awesome. Um, so if other people are going to work in that factory and do all this hard effort and I'll derive the benefits, perfect. Um, and there's some sense in which, you know, there might be something virtuous in that, right? That if you never sub-delegated any of your tasks, um, it would be very hard to become excellent at something. You know, that, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is the most despicable about Bill Gates is that he washed his own dishes with his wife. You know, I, I think that there's something like that makes me think there's a moral monster lurking beneath. Um, <laughs> um, you know, if you're really good at things, you shouldn't be wasting your time doing menial tasks. Um, you know, so maybe there's something to be said for trying to, you know, smooth the way so that you can do things that are genuinely important. And the slacker kind of gets that. I wonder if there's some sense in which it's important to be a slacker in certain aspects of your life, um, that you kind of need to be a bit indifferent to certain things in order to be excellent at others. The kind of slacking that you are talking about is more similar maybe to Russell's notion of leisure, which is, uh, well, we need to have enough leisure for everyone so that we can advance our civilization. Um, so that that's, that really is what motivates uh, him to advocate for, you know. I think he believed that we should not work more than six hours per day. And he also believed that, uh, well, uh, everyone should be able to enjoy, you know, having this leisure time uh, and, and not just the, you know, the, the powerful and the rich. And, but then ultimately, there's a goal to, to leisure for for Russia, which is, uh, well, we need to advance civilization and humanity. So I've got an objection. Suppose I were to come on the show and I would say, it's okay to be a serial killer. Um, it's okay. And it's okay for all the same reasons you've mentioned it's okay to be a slacker. So if someone were to object to me and say, well, being a serial killer is uh, immoral and, and the, the, your actions will result in harming others uh, and disappointing others and hurting others, I'd say, well, serial killers just don't think about that. They don't worry about that. It's just not part of their conception of morality. And if you were to say to me, well, what about uh, you failing a duty to yourself? Uh, you would be a much better human uh, if you were to not uh, commit serial murder. The, and then I respond, well, the serial murder doesn't have the same conception of self-fulfillment and living a good life as you do. And the serial killer's conception of a good life is just as valid as anyone else's. Um, and if you were to say, well, the serial killer's life is not meaningful, I'd say serial killer doesn't care much about meaning, or he has a very different conception of meaning. Uh, the conception of meaning that the serial killer has is a life where he gets to snuff out 
the life force of as many people as possible. That's the most satisfying, meaningful life. Um, surely I could just present exactly the same set of responses as you have, and yet it seems like the serial killer's responses, or at least the person defending serial killing, wouldn't be presenting a good argument. Is a slacker really harming everyone? Differentiates a slacker from a serial killer is that uh, with slacking, you are just, uh, you know, you just don't make contribution, okay? Uh, but with uh, uh, killing, right, you are harming another person. Uh, and so for that reason, right, we can condemn that, right? But I think that you, you are right, that you be uh, like a sociopath might present similar, you know, uh, 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 reasoning that, well, that's just not my conception of a good life. Is, uh, but then like, we would have to say, well, is there are certain conceptions of good life that deviates from the norm, that is still okay. And there are certain conceptions of a good life that deviates from the norms, that is not okay. And I would say that slacking is the former. And, Serial killing is the, is the latter. Ah, okay. But now you've given me what I want, right? So now you've admitted that there's certain objective, objectively better lifestyles than others. And as soon as you do that, you've, you've given the objector what he wants, which is to say, well, there's objective goods that the slacker is not realizing he lacks. And so the slacker's lifestyle is not as good. Well, I'm recognizing there's an objective wrong. I don't know if I commit to objective good. Okay, that's an interesting distinction. You can say that there are varying notions about what it is to lead a good life, um, that you can be agnostic on that front, um, but that we can have a sufficient consensus about what it is to do bad in the world uh, and causing suffering. And we know that the slacker is you know, harmless in that regard. They're not actively causing any suffering. I. I have this interesting notion. So, you know, you sort of thought about the slacker as someone who doesn't live up to their potential. If you think about someone like J.D. Salinger, so, you know, Holden Caulfield's a kind of slacker type character in a lot of ways, has a real, like, doesn't care attitude. And um, Catching the Wire is sort of regarded as one of the great American novels. And it's the only novel that was ever published by Salinger. He, there were some short stories, but that's the only novel. And there's some sense in which Salinger said, I'm opting out. He says, I like writing for my own sake. Um, I, will, I will keep writing. And you know, the view is that he you know, wrote until he died when he was around 90, um, but that he never published. Um, and I wonder if that notion of living up to your potential is, requires some kind of act to the world. So in other words, he says, well, you know, I had all this potential to write and I wrote and I found it very enjoyable for me, whether we say, well, that's not sufficient. Um, you know, to be a real go-getter, you have to make sure that that work is seen by the rest of us. And there are many people who feel um, hard done by, by the lack of publication, you know, that, you know, people really want to read those Hellinger stories and they feel like they're missing out on something beautiful because it was um, not provided to them. Um, and I wonder if there is... There's a tension to my mind. On the one hand, the reason why um, we think so highly of something like Catch in the Rye is because we know of the potential of the author. People really want to read the other stuff. It's this great mystery. Um, and maybe those books could never live up to you know, our imagined idea of the book. Um, and that's, what's, that's what the value is. Or is it 
we just like the books, please, you know, and your failure to give it to us is somehow wrong. It's one thing to say, I, I could write the great novel, but I'm just not going to do it. It's another to say, I did write the great novel. I'm just not going to show it to you. Our a friend, Rebecca, Rebecca Tuvel, she is writing a book right now uh, and uh, on identities. And I would, I mean, I think that she would really be depriving the world of a great book if she uh, chooses not to publish it. But then I guess uh, I don't know whether she owed it to us to, to publish the book. Just because I can do this wonderful thing doesn't mean I have to. Um, and that there is something, you know, if you're a libertarian, you know, you want to say that, you know, people ought to be free to lead the lives of their choosing, even if those lives are not optimal. Um, that, you know, really your obligation to do positive things for others is quite limited, uh, if it's there at all. Um, and that's why it's okay to be a slacker. Well, Alison, thank you so much. It's been really delightful having you on the show. Um, and uh, I think we've sort of managed to move between these two modes of what it's like to be, you know, uh, a go-getter and what it's like to sit back and chillax. Um, Jason and I both took the last year uh, as a time to be hyper-productive. I think we've produced over 50 episodes of Brand Nevada, and it's been uh, very good for both of our souls. So uh, we haven't done nearly as much slacking as we could have. 